morning. morning. It is good to see you guys. I'm excited. As I mentioned uh, at the 9 a.m. service, man, I hadn't preached in front of people in like six months. (laughs) Pastor Mo, uh, he had a head start on me. For the young adult ministry, we've been still online streaming. Welcome to everybody watching online. I love you guys, but it's even better for you when there are some people right here that I can hear responding. And so I know you guys are responding and talking in the chat, and we're so grateful to have you. But I am excited to be able to talk to you guys today. Very excited, and mostly because I know the Lord gave me a message for this house. As I was going into my personal study time just a few weeks ago, um, I was just doing a personal study on the book of Luke, and I opened my Bible, and I did not open to the book of Luke. Has anybody ever, ever had an experience where God leads you somewhere in the Bible that you weren't expecting to go? All right, so that happened to me, and I opened to Jeremiah 32. And I wasn't super familiar with the passage of Scripture, um, nor the, the, the meaning or the relevance to what we're talking about today. But he quickly gave me a download and was like, this is for Victory Midtown. Um, as I mentioned, I'm just excited to be with you guys. I love your pastors. Pastor Mo and Kendra, I love them. Can we take a moment to celebrate them? Seriously. Um, I I mentioned a little while ago, man, we came on staff around the same time. Now they have a little bit more experience than I do, but we came on staff here uh, right around the same time. And I just remember Pastor Mo taking me out to breakfast and just giving me some encouragement and uh, sharing some words with me that have helped me even to this day, just about really allowing God to use me in me being me. And I think he's a great example of that. They are both wonderful examples of that. I'm constantly looking at them and when I'm running into decisions, what would the moments do, right? So that's how you know you have good pastors. And so I'm just grateful to be here. We are in the series called The Way. Uh, who's been here for the series so far? Okay, so we have some, some people who are new to it, some people who've been uh, watching for a while. But the series is, the heart behind it is going back to the basics. Going back to the fundamentals, you know, a lot of us can feel like we're very familiar with, you know, the way of following Christ. Uh, But I think every now and then we need a reminder of the basics because the gospel is, is not easy, but it's simple, right? And what God is calling us to do is not easy all the time, but it is very simple. And sometimes we need to just be reminded of the way. Jesus says that the way is narrow uh, that leads to life, and few people find it. Well, I'm, I'm believing that every person in this room, under the sound of my voice, every person watching online, you, find, you will find the way. If you haven't already found the way in Jesus Christ, you will find it by the end of this message. Amen? Because the way is a person. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, follow me, you know, where I'm going. You'll, you'll be coming along. And Thomas is like, how are we going to know how to go where you're going if we don't know where you're going? And he said... I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Just knowing me, you already know the way to where I'm going. You already know the way to eternal life. You already know the way to relationship with the Father and it's through knowing Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. And so man, I'm so excited today to dive into the Word of God because the Word of God is alive. John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word And the Word was God, and the Word was with God, right? And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what we're about to read today, Jesus just came and personified, but His Word is eternal. And so the same thing that He was speaking to Jeremiah back then, He's going to speak to us today, and we're talking about hope. Amen? So I just want to pray before we dive in. Father, I thank You so much for Your message of hope. 
Lord, would you help us to approach this with fresh eyes, fresh ears, open hearts? Lord, would you help us to be fertile ground, Lord, for you to deposit what you're wanting to grow in our lives, Lord? I pray that this would not just be a message that we hear and then move on, Lord, but this would actually take root in our spirits, Lord, and would actually bear fruit because we know that's what you're wanting. Lord, we know that we need a fresh word from you. So Holy Spirit, have your way in this time. Help me to decrease and for you to increase, for people to only see Jesus as the way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so last week, Pastor Mo brought a powerful message about faith. Who was here for that? Okay, so you know that he said faith is now, right? Right, he said that faith is actively trusting that God is who he says he is and he will do what he said he will do. Well, I wanna take a quick moment to distinguish between faith and hope because some of us just feel like we already know what hope is and why are you even preaching a message about hope? I got it, sir. However, I believe that there is a powerful message in the word hope when we understand how it has a unique power in our lives. Right, so faith is actively trusting and the, the Greek word in the New Testament is really speaking of an inward persuasion. Right, so that means when, when you have faith, you've been convinced, you've been persuaded. God has convinced you, he's made his case, case is closed. You're convinced, Jesus signed me up, I believe you are the way. Hope is about eager expectation of what is sure and what is certain. So. In short, faith is about persuasion and hope is about posture. And so, man, when you have faith, you've been persuaded for, to believe God's promises. When you're in hope, you're postured in a way where you're constantly expecting the fulfillment of his promises. And you're eagerly expecting and actively waiting. And so when we are people of the way, we are people of hope. Because in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. These things all work together, and faith actually births hope in our lives. So once we're persuaded, we need to be postured. Amen? You guys tracking with me? Okay, so as followers of Christ, we are the only ones with a legitimate expectation of eternal life. And that's the hope that we're talking about because we're saying, all right, we're persuaded, we have a posture. Man, what are we persuaded about and what are we postured toward? What are we expecting? We are expecting the fulfillment of God's ultimate promise to us, which is eternal life. And I want that to sink in because a lot of us were like, okay, we got it, man. You know, salvation. I know that, you know, I'm going to go to heaven one day, uh, you know, and I know that I'm supposed to be expecting that. But I want to ask you this question, man. Are, are you living your life in a way where you are eagerly expecting eternal life? Or is it just some distant thing that you expect to happen at some point in the future, but it's not necessarily affecting your daily decisions? We need to be postured in a way where we are actively expecting eternal life. Why? Because we know that this life is temporary. Do you know that this life is temporary? And there are a lot of theories out here. There are a lot of world religions and philosophies with ideas about what happens after our final breath. But as followers of Christ, we have a unique hope in that we actually have a substantiated claim 
because Jesus Christ is the only one who's gone past the final breath and come back. And so everybody else is just speculating what might happen. And we can get really, really confident in our speculations, but Jesus Christ is the only one who's actually gone there and come back and invited us to do the same. Invited us into eternal life. That's what he came for. God was not missing anything in heaven. He wasn't lacking anything. He's never lacking anything. Do you believe that? So he knows that it's a big deal for us to have eternal life, for him to step out of heaven, live life as a man, die a criminal's death on a cross, and then resurrect just so we could have eternal life. That's a huge deal. And I'm believing that's going to become an even bigger deal in our own heart today as we're reading. Um, so before we dive in, I want to ask you two questions so you understand where we're tracking, where we're going with this. First question, do you have a confident hope in what God has reserved for you? Do you have a confident hope in what God has reserved for you? Uh, belief and faith are different. Belief is just the acceptance of some facts. Okay, I accept that Jesus died on the cross. I accept that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that that's true. Now, faith is when I'm persuaded, I'm convinced and pushed to action, and then I'm postured in a way where I'm expecting the fulfillment of the faith that God has put in me. In other words, you can believe something and then never do anything about it. And then that makes me question, well, how confident are you in what you believe? Do you have a confident hope in what God has reserved for you, not for your grandmother, not for your friends, not for the pastors who you know are saved, but for you? Do you have a confident hope in that? And then question two, how often are your decisions guided by that hope? Because hope should be informing our decisions. Man, when you're making life-changing decisions, how often are your decisions guided by eternity? Not just the moral compass, not just what's right and what's wrong, right? Because we can get stuck in there, and then we're only doing what we think God thinks is right and what he thinks is wrong. Uh, and that's not where we're supposed to be. Our decision should be guided by the hope that he's given us for eternity. And so that's where we're going today. We're going to be reading about Jeremiah. Um, and I'm excited about this because... This is about something that I'm actually pretty interested in. Does anybody, is anybody into investing? Okay, yeah, some of you guys are like, I don't want anybody to know I have money. <laughs> That's okay, it's okay. But you know the difference between spending and investing, right? You, you spend money and it's gone. You invest it with the, in, with the expectation of a return, that something's gonna come back from it. Uh, and sometimes investments don't give you immediate gratification, instant gratification. Investments sometimes take a little while to bring you what you're looking for. And I believe that God has called us to be people who invest our time, our money, our giftings. I believe he's called us to be people who invest, not just spend. And we see that in the life of Jeremiah uh, in a very real and tangible way as he is actually telling Jeremiah to make an investment. and. It's at an, 
very interesting time. He's having him make a real estate purchase under circumstances that are not favorable at the moment. And so let's dive into the text, Jeremiah 32, verse 1. It says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. What that means is this really happened. When you're looking at dates in the Bible, it's just to let you know, this really happened, and I'm going to tell you when it happened. Cool? So he says, the army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem. Now a siege is when a place is surrounded and they're cutting off the supplies to resources and they're trying to invade. And so an invasion was taking place in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. Jeremiah said, this is skipping down to verse 6, Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, buy my field at Anathoth, because the, as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Right? So he's having him make a real estate purchase. Then just as the Lord said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. Since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed, and weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy, and I gave this deed to Barak, son of Neriah, the son of Masaiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel and of the witnesses who had signed the deed, and of all the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the guard. In their presence, I gave Barak these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, take these documents, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Some of you guys are like, what is happening? I'll tell you what's happening. God was having Jeremiah purchase a field during an invasion. So this was like purchasing land in Iraq right after 9-11. A war zone that's about to be invaded, and you're trying to make a real estate investment. It's not the best place to purchase land. It was risky. It didn't make sense. And we see him say, man, I signed the deed. I had people witness it. I'm doing this in front of people. This is a sign of faith because God was having him do this for a reason. God was telling him to buy the land. Why? Because God was saying there's going to come a time, even though this place is about to be invaded, it's actually about to be burned to the ground. But I still want you to purchase this because there's going to come a time when the page flips. There's going to come a time when things are restored. There's going to come a time when I change everything and the siege is over and the invasion is over and the reign of this kingdom is over and the next kingdom arrives and I want you to have a place there. And I believe that God is saying the same thing to us. God had Jeremiah purchase real estate that was not secure in the current kingdom but was guaranteed to him in the kingdom God was preparing. God is saying the same thing to you. He's saying the same thing to me. He's saying, man... I want you to spend your life, because it had to cost Jeremiah something. This wasn't just a gift. He actually had to take money out of his pocket while he's in jail. 
These were not favorable circumstances. It says he was imprisoned in the courtyard of the guard. He was imprisoned. This was not ideal circumstances for investment. Who's thinking about buying land and investing when you're in prison? But God is saying none of these circumstances are going to last. And a time is coming where you'll be able to enjoy what I'm bringing to you. And I want you to put your money where your mouth is if you believe that I can bring this to pass. How many of you guys know that following Christ costs you something? Has anybody found that out yet? If not, maybe you just started following him like five minutes ago. But following Christ is going to cost you something. And it's an investment that we make. Jesus says to lay down our lives. He said, anyone trying to hold on to your life is going to lose it. But when you lose your life, you'll gain it. Man, you can lay down your life. You can give everything in your pockets, everything that you have, because you have a hope of something that is certain, guaranteed to you. That's why he had Jeremiah put the deed in a clay jar, because he's saying, it's going to take a while to come to pass, but make sure you put it in something that can preserve it because it's going to happen and it's guaranteed. And when the page does turn, when the kingdom does arrive, when I do restore the kingdom to Israel, when I do change everything around, you will have something that says, I belong here. But if Jeremiah was only caught up in what was happening in the invasion, in the invasion of Babylon and the siege that was taking place, if he was only caught up in that, he wouldn't be purchasing land in the place that was being invaded. And he wouldn't have a place where God was restoring things. And so I believe that right now in 2020, we are in a similar circumstance as Jeremiah. I believe that we are in uh, somewhat of a spiritual siege. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but 2020 has been a little crazy. Anybody notice? There's a lot going on, and not just in the world, but there's a, there's a climate right now in the spiritual space where being a follower of Christ, being a follower of this narrow way, we're starting to see how narrow it is. Would you guys agree? We're starting to realize, man, not a lot of people want to go down this road. Not a lot of people encourage me or affirm me to go down this road. In fact, as time goes on, going down this road feels more and more ludicrous to the people watching. But I have this hope, this expectation of what's certain because God has placed a deposit in me that's guaranteed me a place in his kingdom that's guaranteed to come. And this kingdom that we're living in right now is only temporary. This, this kingdom that's saying, man, the, the way of Christ, the values and the morals that Christ has aren't good. That's what we're seeing right now. There's been this, this change in tide. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but especially in America, there was a time when Christianity was, was highly regarded. Have you realized? There was a time in America where Christianity was looked upon like, man, that is the way to go. That is honorable. Oh, man, you're a Christian? You're a pastor? Wow. That's honorable. Now... That's shifting a little bit. And Christianity is not just where it was the moral high ground. It's not just not the high ground anymore. It's actually starting to be looked at as the low ground. Christians are the problem. What the Bible says is the problem. What the Bible says is trying to hold people back. 
what the Bible says doesn't work in Babylon. That's what we're seeing. The word of God is not highly regarded in this time, man, but I believe that God is saying today that the page is going to turn. This siege is not going to last forever. The kingdom of Satan is temporary, just like the kingdom of Babylon was temporary. Anybody ever met a Babylonian king? No, because it's gone. When's the last time you thought about the kingdom of Babylon? You haven't. It's irrelevant. It's gone. And Satan knows that his time is short too. And so even though sin and darkness seem to be reigning, they seem to be winning right now, it's only temporary. Even the, the devil said to Jesus as he was tempting him in Luke 4, he said, I will give you all this domain and its glory for it has been handed over to me and I give it to whomever I wish. He left out the end of the story, which it's been handed over, but it's going to be taken back. Just like with Babylon, before the full invasion happened, God is telling Jeremiah, I'm about to allow this invasion to happen. I'm about to hand over this kingdom to the Babylonians, but it's only a temporary time that I'm handing it over for, and then I'm going to take it back. So go ahead and buy some land because I'm guaranteeing you that I'm taking this back. And I believe he's saying the same thing to you. Follow the way. Follow Christ. Buy some land in heaven. There's a place for you. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And my father's house has many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. What he was saying even in that, that was, that was, a, that was wedding culture back then. When, when a marriage was taking place, an engagement happened. Um, like when I got engaged to my beautiful wife over there. I don't know if y'all see her, but she's beautiful. That's why I married her inside and out. All right. I'll, say, I'll save the rest for later. So, but when a marriage was taking place, um, the, the groom would negotiate a price with the bride's father, and then he would have to go home and prepare a place. They actually lived in, the way that it would work was they would just add rooms onto the house, and so families lived together at that time, and so he would, the groom would have to go and build a room for his new family, build a new place, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you, then I'm coming back for you. And even if you take your final breath before the second return, that place is there for you. To be absent from the body is to be present from, with the Lord. This is the hope that we have. This kingdom's temporary, but there is a place guaranteed to us in the coming kingdom. Amen? So I want you to say this. I want you to say change is coming. And it's guaranteed. Let that sink in. Change is coming. Go ahead, repeat it. Change is coming. And it's guaranteed. One last time, everybody online, say it. Change is coming. And it's guaranteed. God knew that change was coming. That's why down in verse 36, he says to Jeremiah, you're saying about this city, at my inspiration, right? By the sword, famine, and plague, it will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Change is coming. 
I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banished them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. See, Israel was being punished for their sins. God had brought them into a place and they had turned away from him. And so he's like, all right, I'm going to give you over to this sin for a little while, but I'm going to redeem you. He says, they will be my people. Even though they've turned to idols and even though they've done all this crazy stuff, I will redeem them. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Thank you, Jesus. That's what Jesus did. And God was talking about that in 580-something B.C. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them, and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and my soul. God is saying he's going to put all his heart and his soul into securing his people. God is going to put all of his heart and his soul into the place that he's prepared for you, into your restoration, into your redemption. This is why we have a hope that can't be shaken because what he says is going to happen. Oh, it's going to happen. It's guaranteed to us. That's why in Revelation 21, John sees the end, right? 2,000 years ago, John says, I, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. How many of you guys know that even the current heaven isn't sticking around? Change is coming and is guaranteed. He's going to redo everything, new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Do you remember when he said, they will be my people and I will be their God? We're seeing the fulfillment of it. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. 500 years later, John sees this in a vision. They will be, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Babylon is gone. The kingdom's gone. Sin and darkness are gone. It's wiped away. Change is coming and it's guaranteed. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He's saying, write this down because this is guaranteed to happen, and people need to know about it even 2,000 years from when you write this. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. That means those who keep their hope, those who hold on, those who keep what's guaranteed to them. Jeremiah was told to keep this in a jar of clay so that it'll last a long time. Hold on to it because the time is coming when you can actually redeem this land. Houses and land will be bought in this place again. It's guaranteed. Hold on to what God has put inside of you because the time is coming. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. What he's saying is Babylon has to go. And everyone who follows the way of Babylon won't work in this kingdom. Narrow is the road that leads to life and few find it. 
but we all hear the gospel. Romans 1 tells us that all men are without excuse because what's to be known about God, his eternal nature, his divine power is made plain to us in just what we see around us. The fact that we're alive and we have breath in our lungs, the fact that there are trees outside and they have roots that go down into the ground and they're not knocked over when wind comes and just all the phenomenons that happen on a daily basis. We walk outside and we see birds flying. I was laying at the pool with my wife like last week and we saw these hawks flying around in the sky and I'm just like, this is crazy. God made birds. And then they were calling to each other like, ah! I'm like, birds can hear, they can see, they can communicate, and so can we. How can we think this is by accident? What's to be known about God is plain to us. We're seeing his attributes and his character and everything that he created. And he's prepared a place for us to be with him in spite of the fact that we've turned away from him so many times. In spite of the fact that we've lived so much of our lives in sin and rebellion and caught up in the culture of the people around us, that's what was happening with Israel. God had prepared a place for them, but they were so enamored with the cultures around them, their idol worship, they were sacrificing their children because it was popular. God is saying, I got to get rid of this, man. I want you guys to be in relationship with me, but this can't stick around. That is why Jesus came. This is a picture of the big picture. This is a picture of salvation, of redemption. Jesus came. He bought the land for us. Now we just get to add on to it. He's prepared a place for us, but he's told us, man, every time you do something in my name, there are rewards waiting for you. I already got a place for you, but you could put a little couch in it. You can add on to it, add, add a patio or something. Man, it's so important that we live this way because that exile that was taking place, the, the people of God were being taken away for 70 years into captivity to Babylon, but change was coming. And just like we're experiencing a lot of pressure, that's what a siege was. It was pressure. They were surrounded. And the goal of being surrounded, the, enemy, the enemy's army would surround you, cut off all your supplies, cut and, and, and get in the way of all your needs. And the goal of it was to get you to surrender. And right now we're experiencing that in the spiritual realm. There is a spiritual siege taking place trying to get Christians to tap out. There's too much going on. It's too difficult. It's too challenging. Tap out. That's the lie from the enemy. The page is going to turn. Change is coming. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed to you. In fact, 2 Corinthians tells us that it says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Then in chapter 4, it says that uh, we have this treasure in jars of clay. So in short, man, we are the jars of dirt carrying a treasure that is only a deposit of what we're promised in the future. Man, when you receive Jesus Christ, it says, he says that he will send his spirit to dwell in you. He says that we are the temple of God. The spirit of God dwells inside of us, and it's only a deposit. How many of you guys know the deposit is not the full amount? 
the deposit isn't the full amount, but we're able to experience the presence of God. We're able to engage with him. We're able to hear from him. He'll lead us. He'll give us wisdom on every decision that we need to make. He'll answer our prayers. He'll protect us. He protected you on the way here. He's with you. And this is only a deposit of what's to come. And we're called to be people who live in eager expectation, anticipation, actively waiting for the fulfillment, the full measure. I love the deposit. I want the full amount. Amen? So with this information, what do we do with it, right? We want to be people who are eagerly anticipating eternal life eagerly anticipating either the return of Christ or when we leave this body and we're with him, we just, we wanna be eagerly anticipating what God has promised to us, which is the full measure of our relationship with him. Well, hope, it's eager expectation and actively waiting. I would put eager expectation as this, as people of hope, we stay ready. We stay ready. Have you ever heard if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready? You don't want to be last minute trying to put, put stuff together for when you're supposed to meet Jesus. You don't know when he's coming. So you really can't do a last minute effort. This is the last minute effort. Today, tomorrow's not promised. In fact, Jesus says it this way in Luke 12. He says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Somebody say, keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. Change is coming. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. Say ready. Even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, say ready, because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. He's saying, man, if you, if you knew at exactly what time a thief was coming, you would be ready, but you don't know, so you always need to be ready. He's saying in the same way, you don't know when I'm coming back. Always be ready. Stay ready. Keep your lamps burning because hope is easier to attain than it is to maintain. Hope is easier to attain than it is to maintain. It's not too hard to get hope, man. You hear a good message or you see something in scripture. Oh, Jesus is coming back. That's my hope. Then life happens. And it's hard to maintain that hope. It's hard to be eagerly expecting, actively waiting when you're distracted. But Jesus is saying, keep your lamps burning. Now, I was talking about this with a friend, and he pointed out the fact that, man, this is not a light bulb. This isn't a switch. Not like keep the switch on. And that's kind of how we try to do Christianity a lot of times. Like we got saved, and boom, the switch is turned on, lights on, we're good. No. That's not what he's talking about here. This is a lamp way before electricity. This needed fresh oil. To keep the lamp burning, you got to keep putting fresh oil in it. 
to keep your relationship with God burning, to keep your hope strong, to stay steadfast my heart. Take courage. That takes fresh oil. You need a fresh word from God. Daily. Somebody say daily. daily. Now commit to it. Daily. We need fresh oil. That's what keeps the lamp burning. Yesterday's oil burns. The lamp will not stay lit without fresh oil. Your lamp will not stay lit without fresh oil. The word from two weeks ago won't do it. That message you heard 10 years ago that got you saved won't keep your hope in the midst of a pandemic. I need a fresh word. I need to know that God is with me because he told me today. Because our emotions are fleeting. We waver. It's just our humanity. And that's why God has given us an anchor for our souls. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls so we don't get taken anywhere by the winds and the waves. We can remain steadfast. We can keep our courage and our hope when we keep our lamps burning. Jesus says uh, in Psalm 119, the psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God is a lamp. It keeps things illuminated. In a world full of darkness, the word of God is a lamp. You have to keep it burning in front of you, continually picking it up, continually engaging with God in prayer, in worship, staying in his presence. That's what keeps your lamp lit. When you're away from God, you get crazy. We all do. That's why we have to keep the lamp burning. Because when we get away, the lamp goes out. We have no light. We can't see. We're in darkness. We got to stay close. Get a fresh word, fresh oil uh, to the husbands in the room. You know that, you know, your wife is probably not excited about the flowers you got her three years ago, right? Would anybody agree? Wives, are you excited about flowers from three years ago? Right. Thank you. In the same way, your husband is probably not still glowing from the honeymoon unless it happened yesterday. <laughs> right? We need fresh oil. Amen? Fresh intimacy. In the same way, we need fresh intimacy with God. This is how we stay ready. Intimacy is a lamp that needs fresh oil and attention or else we'll just walk around distracted. We won't actually get to where we're supposed to go because our lamp went out and we just started going on the road more frequently traveled because the narrow one was hard to see because we didn't have direction for the day. We got off track. God has a fresh word for you. Today is a fresh word for you to live for eternity. Three things that I wanna mention real quick. You have eager expectation and you have actively waiting. As somebody who's actively waiting, you're investing. There's action that takes place. You're investing in the kingdom of God. You're investing in eternity. You're not just spending your time frivolously and you invest in three areas with your time, with your treasure, and with your talents. And I'd say it this way, if you knew that you would be gone tomorrow, how would you live your life today? 
If you knew you'd be gone tomorrow, how would you live your life today? How would you talk to your spouse? Would you open your Bible? Probably. Would you pray? If I'm about to meet Jesus tomorrow, I'm praying today. <laughs> Amen? We need to continually be living our lives that way, investing in the return that we want to see. I'm going to invest in that relationship because that's the one for eternity. I want a good relationship with Jesus. I don't want to meet him when I get there. I'd be like, yeah, I never knew you here. Let's get this started. No, that's not how it works. I want to be stepping in. Man, you've been speaking to me every day. Now I just have this. That was just a deposit. Now I have the fulfillment. I can be with you for eternity. Eternity is going to be way longer than this temporary life. I want to close in this last story that Jesus tells about the contrast between the temporary and the eternal. It's in Luke 16, 19 through 26. He says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. You guys know anybody like that? Just living in luxury every day. If you don't know him, you see it on Instagram. All right. <laughs> At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. This was not a good life. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from over from there to us. Man, what he's saying is eternity is a lot longer than any time we spend here. And you'd be better off to be Lazarus than the rich man. One of the things that I noticed in that story is the rich man doesn't even have a name. But the beggar, he had hope of eternal life. Things worked out for him. God knew him by name. Lazarus, he suffered. I saw him. I saw him go through the things that he went through, and it hurt my heart. I saw him suffer, and I saw you not help him while you lived in luxury. And what he's saying is, man, Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What does it profit you to get everything you ever wanted here? And then in eternity, you got nothing. So you got everything you want for 70 years or 40 years or 30 years. Tomorrow's not promised. You got everything you want for that. But what about the rest? God is saying, that's why I sent my son. Because I knew that this was a problem. There's another man named Lazarus who, before Jesus resurrects him from the dead, it says Jesus wept. I believe it was because Jesus was weeping at the reality of death that he was coming to save us from. But he came to give us hope that we could hold on to, hope that he deposited in us as a guarantee that we wouldn't miss it. Man, through faith in Christ, you have a guarantee 
Through faith in Christ, he will deposit his spirit in you just as a deposit of what's to come. The good things that he has for you that you can't even imagine. But it's so important that we live our lives that way. So back to those two questions, man. Do you have a confident hope in what God has reserved for you? And is it driving the decisions you're making on a daily basis? I'd encourage you, if the answer to that question is no, to the first question, I have an invitation for you. If you don't have a hope for what God has reserved for you, or there's an invitation that he's given to you in the gospel, the good news, the good news is there is hope for you. The good news is you can have confident hope. The good news is there is victory available for you. The good news is there is nothing in this world that can pluck you out of his hand. Greater is he that is within you than he, is that in, than he that is in the world. And man, if you haven't had a relationship with Jesus Christ, whether you're watching online or if you're in the room, I want to invite you into that. And if you're saying, I want relationship with Jesus, I want to receive salvation today, I want to have a confident hope in what he has reserved for me. I want a place in the coming kingdom and not just to secure myself in the current one. I want to invite you to pray this prayer and for all the believers around the room to pray with us. Say, Father... I thank you that you see me and that you have a place reserved for me. I receive your salvation because I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, resurrected from the grave, and showed his power to save me. I receive your forgiveness. I turn from my old way and I establish you as the leader of my life. I will follow your way. I will follow Jesus into eternity. In Jesus' name. Now, if you'll stand to your feet, I just want us to go into a time of worship. For everyone who has a confident hope, man, this is the time to express it, to show gratitude for it, to say, I'm going to let this hope inform my decisions because I know that God has a place for me. He's gone to prepare a place for me. And so as we sing, you can have my heart. I just want that to be the meditation in your spirit as you go through this day, as you go through this week, as a daily commitment. I'm gonna keep this lamp burning. I'm going to keep it burning. God, you can have my heart right now, later today, and every day. I give you all of me. Father, encounter us in this time. Draw us into you. In Jesus' name, amen.